Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. be here with you this morning, Uh, even during this rain, this cooler weather, uh, fall is here, it's arrived, hope you're enjoying it, and uh, I'm enjoying just being here and hearing you sing this morning is such an encouragement to me standing up front, but it's all about glorifying God, so thanks for being here and online as well. And before I dive into the, the topic today, I just want to give a shout out to two of our leaders here who've led us so well these past two weekends, Amy and DJ, have they not led us well in speaking and leading the church, just love that, love that. Well, as I was thinking about this morning, I was thinking about us, because it doesn't really matter if you're 17 or you're 70 or somewhere in between, we all have certain memories from our life that we take with us. And if you're anything like me, some of the memories that you hold really don't make a lot of sense. They're kind of random. Like I I have a memory of my my grandmother, the only memory I have of her, she died when I was just a toddler. The only memory I have of her is of her feeding me ice chips, but boy, it's there. And I wonder, why do I remember that? Right, of all the things I've lived in my life, why is that up there? And then there are other memories, right, that we have and we know why they're up here. Because they marked us in some way. Like for me, I'm a kid, I'm like nine or ten years old, and I didn't really understand how things worked, right? I, I don't understand how money works back then. I think it grows on trees. I don't have a clue. I did know that my dad had been injured. I, you know, I heard, you know, some kind of word that he was disabled, whatever that meant. I mean, I didn't know. But what I did know was when we came home one night in the car and on the front porch were bags and bags of groceries. And I've never forgotten the look on my parents' faces of relief, thankfulness, tears. Never forgotten that. And it reminded me really later on in my life of what it looks like to be the church in action the church being the church. And that's what I want to talk about this morning because as we look at Acts 6, what we see is that the church is very young. I want you to think about this movement now. It's only a few months old. Now, it's grown incredibly quickly despite the culture around it. It's really hostile. So at this point, this brand new movement has like 20,000 members It's led by 12 spiritual leaders. So it's an infant movement making a gigantic impact. And it's in light of that that when we open up Acts 6, verse 1, it it humbly downplays things, actually. And the text tells us, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. Well, the church back then was not only increasing, the church was really multiplying faster than most organizational gurus could ever keep up with. And I want you to imagine now you're part of this movement, all these people joining it, despite the culture around you, it's pretty exciting. And yet in the middle of this exciting movement, as things are growing so fast, there are going to be some challenges as well. And that's what we see here in verse 1. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So again, the Christian church is only a few months old, and what's it doing already? It has already established a resource center and food distribution program. 
So every day for this church was like our second Saturday serve. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. But there was also a problem that some within the church were serving some people better than others. They had forgotten what God had made very clear to Moses and the Israelites back in Deuteronomy 10. He says, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, and here's a key phrase, who shows no partiality. He shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Basically, since God made all people in his image, all people are to be served. God shows no partiality. But because we sometimes do, and because sometimes they did as well, God then reminded them what partiality felt like for their ancestors. He said, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. So God was basically saying, have you heard what partiality felt like for your ancestors back then? then don't be showing partiality to people right now. Serve everybody. Well, fast forward into the Gospels now. We find Jesus reminding his followers of this truth, but in a slightly different way. In Matthew 5, 14, he says, You, that's all of you, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, in the mind of a first century Jew, you would hear a metaphor like that, and it wouldn't just be interesting. That metaphor would remind you as a Jew to always ask the question, what does that thing do? So what does a light do? Well, Jesus answers the question. He says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, and as a result, glorify your Father in heaven. So shining a light means shining in service. Shining a light means shining in service. And this was a challenge for the people back then. You see, back in the first century, the Jewish people were under Roman rule. And the Roman culture was one of partiality and marginalization. Romans did not at all believe that all people were valuable and that all people were made in the image of God. Not at all. They believed that people fell into certain categories like winners and losers. So when this Christian church emerged and started serving everybody, they stood out like a city set up high on a hill that cannot be hidden. Everybody noticed their service and everybody noticed the motivation for their service. For it was Jesus who told them, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So when the church was birthed in the book of Acts, we see Christians starting really to minister the love of Christ to others in response to how Christ had loved them. And the same holds true for us. When we have received Christ's love, then we display Christ's love. And the implication is that love doesn't come with a boatload of excuses as to why we can't serve others. Love comes with a boatload of reasons as to why we get to serve others. Serving them becomes a priority, not an option. Serving becomes a lifestyle, not something that other good Christians do. Because as Christ taught us, shining a light means shining in service. Receiving Christ's love leads to displaying Christ's love. And it was this very love that motivated the early church to serve. And what we see here is that in the middle of all their serving, in the middle of all their loving, some within that church allowed a little discrimination to set in, which gave rise to the sin of partiality. And so what we see in verse 1 is that the Hellenistic Jews were being overlooked so the Hebraic Jews could be served first. And that's not love. Love. 
And you gotta wonder, what's going on? Because they're all Jews. What's the problem? Well, the Hebraic Jews, they viewed themselves as cream of the crop. Because they were not only Jews, but they were Jews who spoke Hebrew. That's the original language. And they adopted a true Jewish way of life. The Hellenistic Jews, they weren't like that. They spoke Greek and adopted a Greek way of life. And so to a Hebraic Jew back then, I mean, the Hellenistic Jews weren't like the Samaritans. They were like half-breeds, but they weren't as good as them either. They fell somewhere in the middle. And so what we see is an ethnic problem based on cultural differences. So what do they do? What we see is that everybody in the church got in the game to solve this problem. You see, a problem in the church can either divide people or it can unite people. The early church chose unity. And so it says in Acts 6-2, so the 12, these leaders, gathered all the disciples, all the church together, and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. First lesson, friends. Well, some serve as leaders within the church. Others are equipped to serve differently. And by leaders, I mean like upfront leaders, the ones who are kind of leading the charge. Some serve in that way, but others are called to serve differently. And sometimes I think we forget this. I mean, many Christians, they get up on Sunday morning, right? You got your clothes on, you got ready, you had a little breakfast. And, and then a lot of Christians, they'll come to church and they'll sing along with the songs and, you know, hear the message and think, well, that was pretty good. And then they'll go home. That's not how it's supposed to work. Some serve as leaders within the church. Others are equipped, everybody is equipped to serve differently in some way. So how has God equipped you to serve is the question. So remember now, this church, this early church, it's got like 20,000 members led by 12 spiritual leaders. And so these 12 leaders basically respond to the church by saying, you know what? We have got an incredibly important problem we gotta solve. And while we have been gifted by God to teach and pray, we need others to step in to correct this problem of partiality. And the best people to do this would be people who have been given the gift of administration. So while we'll take part in serving the poor, there's no question about that, others with the right gifts and the right hearts need to administer the process. This led them to say, brothers and sisters, the whole church, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. Second lesson. Well, some may have the right gifts to serve. They also need the right hearts to serve. And sometimes we forget that. I mean, especially in light of, you know, what we're trying to do as a church or anybody, any church as a result of this movement. I mean, church leaders are just happy when somebody who has a gift in some area is willing to take their time and actually use it in the church. And so sometimes we can be guilty of quickly putting somebody in, utilizing that gift and not discerning really if they have the right heart. And so while things can start to take off and things can go pretty well, eventually if somebody doesn't have the right heart, problems emerge. It can lead to division, gossip, bitterness, and all kinds of things. See, we need to serve with the right gifts and the right hearts. It's a lesson that I came by the, the hard way. I remember one Sunday morning, it felt like any other. We came to church, our family came to church. I was like nine or 10 years old, and we're sitting in church, just like you're sitting right now. And 
Unbeknownst to me, my dad felt God tell him in the middle of that service that he needed to serve a widow in our church. Her name was Mrs. Cornell. And so after the church service was over, he went out in the lobby, he approached her, and he says, you know, I really feel God telling me that I'm supposed to serve your greatest need on a weekly basis. So what's your greatest need? She said, well, I, I can't mow my lawn anymore. Could you come and mow my lawn? And right there, my dad said, you know what? Every single Saturday morning, I'll be there. I'll make sure it happens. Well, then we got home, and as we're eating you know, dinner all together, my father shared this story. It sounded like a great story until he said, well, you know, Phil, I, I, I can't mow her lawn. I'm disabled. So, I mean, that means you are going to come with me every single Saturday morning. And I said, Dad, God called you. He did not call me. He said, well, God's called you now. <laughs> so every Saturday, we started going to Mrs. Cornell's house to mow her lawn. And I got to be honest, I had the right gifts. I mean, I had mowed a lawn a thousand times. I didn't have the right heart. In fact, when we got done mowing, all I wanted to do was just get out of there, just go home. And she would invite us in for like an hour to have cookies and to talk. And I'm like, can we just go? And yet over time, as I sat with her, what an incredibly wise, humble woman. And the words she shared with me changed my life and it changed my heart. And my heart began to transform from a place of anger and bitterness, ultimately to acceptance, okay, I should probably do this, to openness, ultimately to a state of excitement to actually see her and talk with her and serve her every Saturday morning. Friends, if we're gonna serve as Christ calls us to serve, we all need to get to that point. So let me ask you, in what ways does your heart need to change in order for you to serve others? Honestly, what needs to be eradicated from your thought life in terms of that? You know, all the things about me and what I want to be about. Like, what needs to just go? What other things need to be submitted to the Lord in all of this? And where in your heart could you grow in humility? What needs to change here in order for you to really serve? It's why the spiritual leaders told the congregation, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. So they're basically saying, you know what, if anything is gonna, is gonna happen in the life of this church, leaders need to step up, but the right kind of leaders. Leaders who are gifted and leaders who embody the right heart and the right spirit. As we see from scripture, one key ingredient to having the right heart to serve is embracing Christ's heart of humility. Paul wrote it this way. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Humility, servanthood. It really wins the day in the kingdom of God. I think it's one reason why the Bible tells us this proposal pleased the whole group. That's everybody, everybody in the church. Third lesson. Well, everyone is part of the church congregation. All serve the church as active ministers. Have you thought about yourself this way? That you are a minister? Because every member is a minister. 
And what is a minister? Well, a minister is a Christian who dispenses Christ's love and service. And there are those, if we're gonna be honest, who would say, well, I think it's great that there are some in our church that would dispense Christ's love and service. I'll even financially support them so they can go do that. No, God has called you to be a minister. Every member, a minister. God wants to use your life for his glory, friends. Notice here that the entire group is enlisted here, which means there's no sideline servants, there's no sideline ministers. We're to live with a heart set and a mindset that says, we're all in. We're all in. The apostle Peter wrote about this as well, so beautifully. He says, as you come to him, the living stone, that's Jesus Christ, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones, so he's saying, you are a stone and you are a stone and you are a stone and I am a stone. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be what? A holy priesthood. And what do we see priests doing in the Bible? Well, they serve. They minister. And how do they serve? Well, we are to be constantly offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That means we're all in. We're all in. What might that look like? About four years ago, um, Carol and I, we love to go up in the summertime to Traverse City, Michigan. It's just beautiful up there. And we're gonna take another couple with us. Now, we have a dog named Ollie, and we love our dog. And, but they had a dog as well, and they couldn't find a sitter for their dog to be able to go. So we talked to our neighbor girl down the street. You know, would you be willing to watch two? She says, no big deal, I'm watching one, I can watch two. So I said, you know what, don't worry about it, just bring your dog over, and so we, you know, the dog introduced, you know, met the girl and everything. Everything seemed to be great. And, and so we got in the car and we drove. About six hours later, we're about two hours from Traverse City, we get this phone call from her saying, you know what, your dog's great, but this other dog is really mean. Like, I'm afraid to even get anywhere near that dog. It's like attacking me. I, I'm sorry, but I can't help you. We're six hours away. This is our vacation, and it's going to be ruined because of this little dog? You know, so I'm, I'm getting a little angry, to be honest with you. Like, this is frustrating. Like, and after all, how difficult can it be to care for a little dog? I mean, come on, really, right? And so I'm, I'm thinking about this. we got to turn back and solve this. I mean, what are we going to do? And, and eventually I thought, you know what? I'm just going to call our neighbor Chip. He lives right next door, right between us and where the neighbor girl lives. And, and so I called Chip. And he picked up the phone, and I says, Chip, I got a problem. I'm wondering if you can help me. And I explained the whole situation about the dog and everything, and the neighbor girl, and she's afraid. And, and I said, would you be willing to go next door and maybe just solve this for us? He said, you know what? I already had the car started. I was heading to the gym, but you know what? I'll put everything aside. I will help you. I'll call you in a couple minutes, he said, and let you know how it goes. Well, about 15 minutes later, which is more than a couple minutes later, we still hadn't heard anything, so I'm, I'm driving, I'm curious, so I called him. No answer. I waited another five minutes, called him. No answer. I'm starting to get a little concerned, and then eventually he called me, and he said, Phil, that dog... Really mean. We, we had a problem here. He said, I, I mean, I have tried all kinds of things. I mean, that dog is mean. It's like attacking me. You know, so I stood there in your kitchen. And I thought, what would a cowboy do at this moment? <laughs> I'm like, a cowboy? How did we get there? And, and he says, you know what? So I created a lasso, 
And I lassoed that thing. And I pulled that dog up to me and I grabbed into my arms and he says, I gotta apologize, I'm really sorry because under your kitchen counter there's a, like a whole ring of paper towels there. I mean, it's all gone, I'll replace it. He says, I'm sorry, but, but the dog bit me and I'm bleeding profusely. And, and so I needed the paper towels, I'll, 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 I'll replace them. He says, I'm like, Chip, I am so sorry. I'm, don't worry about it. He said, I got this handled. And I said, but Chip, the dog bit, don't worry about it. I got this handled. I'm gonna take the dog outside. I'm gonna introduce the dog to the neighbor girl. I'll let you know how it goes. So 10 minutes later, he called me and he says, you know, this dog, it's actually a really nice dog. I, really nice. I mean, there's like no problems. I think it was just the case of a, a new house, new people. The dog is small, was really afraid. I actually think we're all good. There's no problem. Enjoy your vacation. I'm like, well, thank you, Chip. Well, we got home from our vacation and, you know, I went next door with some really nice gifts from up north in Traverse City and I uh, knocked on his door and he opened the door and as soon as he opened it, it was clear to see, it was clear tape, he had used tape to hold together this long wound that was along his arm. It was bad. I'm like, Chip, man, I, I had no, I thought I mean, a bite, I had no, I'm so sorry. He says, don't worry about it. I said, Chip, I mean, how could I thank you? He says, you're not seeing right on this one. Here's how I see it. You had a need, and out of all the people you know in your church, you called me. It shows me what you think of me, that you trust me, that you value me, so thank you. Is a man dying of cancer, you know. I thought about this later going, you know, what would that look like if you and I would respond that way? Say, God, you saw a need and out of all the people in the church, you called me. And it shows me what you think of me, that you trust me, that you value me. So thank you. I'm all in. And I know just like me as a kid, it's a process. It's a process. And we talked about this. Like we believe that part of the process is just coming here to experience God together. It's about experiencing God online, here in person. And then we grow together in our faith. We grow with Jesus. We grow with each other. And part of that process then is for you to discover your purpose, for me to discover my purpose so that we as living stones then can go out and do what? Make an impact. We're all in. We're all in. That's why today you probably noticed some tables in the lobby. I want to encourage you afterwards, after we're done, to take the time to actually investigate. Ask a lot of questions. And for those who are online, you can go to our website. Maybe you're already there, mcc.church. Go to the Make an Impact tab. Hit that. It will take you into another page and just read and respond. But I'm calling us to be all in. I gotta admit, it's been a painful year. Painful year and a half. I mean, we've done church in different ways and, and a big part of doing church for the past six, eight months or whatever has been a lot of Christians just trying to figure out a way to find their way back to church. When do they feel good about coming back to church? And I get that. I'm thankful that you're here. But friends, in order to do church, in order to be the church, 
It takes more than us being here. It takes us serving each other. That's what it's all about. I want to encourage you to dive in. As a result of the entire church getting in the game in Acts 6, the whole congregation chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So we learned that the church chose Stephen, and what we know is that he became the first martyr of the church. In fact, in Acts 7, he's killed for his faith, but before he's killed for his faith, he gives one of the most powerful, longest sermons you're going to find in the New Testament. But there's something else I want you to notice, that in order to address how the Hellenistic widows were being overlooked, the entire congregation chose seven men with Hellenistic names from the very group who was being overlooked. Now, in our modern world, we'd say that's not how you do it. What you do is you get equal numbers from both sides, kind of like Congress, right? And you, put them in a, and you put them in a room together, right? And they kind of hash things out, negotiate their differences, mediate whatever kind of compromises need to take place so that you can reach some kind of form of unity. Not the early church. The members knew that if they chose leaders with the right gifts and the right hearts, there wasn't going to be any problem. In fact, they trusted that God would utilize their resolution to this problem as a means for advancing God's kingdom. And that's exactly what happened. In verse 7, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And so the church grew even more. More in numbers, more in faith, more in discipleship. Friends, the very problem that could have caused the church to divide caused the church to unite. It's amazing. You see, when we show up to serve, which should be every day of our lives, we show up like Jesus. When we show up to serve, we show up like Jesus. Friends, we are servants. It's who we follow. It's what he did. It's what we do. It's who we are. And think about this. The church in Acts 6, they addressed a problem together that inspired really unity and service. As I was sitting in my kitchen the other day, I thought, you know, what is one problem that we could solve together? Like, if we're going to brainstorm that, I think we come up with like six to ten different things that we could solve together. So let me just highlight one. Here's a problem I think we need to solve together. That together, we need to move from attending church to being the church. And that means that after every single Sunday, as you walk out those doors, you would boldly say, watch out, Cincinnati, because the church has left the building. That's the problem we need to solve. Do I hear an amen out there? It means we're all in. We're all in. Every member of minister. So let me ask you, what are your gifts? Where is your opportunity? Might be out there in the atrium. Might be that widow down the street, that single mom that you know, that hurting family, a friend who's lost. Second Saturday serve. Where's your opportunity? So what are your gifts? Where is your opportunity? And then third question, how is your heart? Does anything need to change in here to be the servant that Christ has called you to be? 
So what are your gifts? Where is your opportunity? How is your heart? And when will you start? You don't need to wait very long. It's waiting right out there in the lobby for you, see? Because when we show up to serve, we show up like Jesus. And we've talked about hurting people, right? And perhaps you're one right now. Perhaps it's been a difficult season. You're struggling emotionally, physically, spiritually. After the service, I encourage you to come up as people are walking out. We have prayer partners here to pray with you, to stand with you. Avail yourself of that opportunity. But we are servants. It's who we are. It's what we do. Let's live with a heart set and a mindset that says we're all in. Will you stand with me? And we're ending a little bit early today to give you time to investigate and explore and actually just enjoy one another. But before you go, let me leave you with some words that Jesus Christ spoke to us. And as I say these words, I want you to think about what that could mean for you personally. What God could do in and through your life if each one of us really lived this out. These are Christ's words spoken to you. Friends, brothers, sisters, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and as a result, glorify your Father in heaven. So as you go, shine your lights as you shine in service to the glory of God the Father. I'll see you next weekend. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.